0: How you doing this morning? Well, all right. You're looking good. You're sounding good. Uh, Marilyn, can I just share with them what you, you just shared? Huh? Uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, Marilyn just told me, first of all, you guys are famous. they were in the paper that was sent to our house. They're, they're like, you guys are models or something, crying out loud. But uh, yeah, I, her daughter had cancer. Uh, they've been praying for her. She just got a new MRI, and she's healed of cancer. So praise God. Amen. <laughs> That is, when 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 God does something like that, you you, you gotta tell people about it. You know, it, it's testifying. Uh, that is the second healing I've heard of th- this week. I mean, and I don't know. It's, there are seasons you know, that, that where things happen. And, and uh, what I want to say is, keep praying for one another. You, you got You have a need. Have people pray for you, and then when God answers that, you tell people about it, and faith grows. Amen, amen. So we've been uh, talking about the Holy Spirit all summer long. We're getting spiritualized. And uh, yeah, uh, my impression is that uh, it's, it's had a good impact. And I think it has opened us up more to the working of the Spirit, the freedom of the Spirit, being used by the Spirit. Some really cool stuff. So we're going to uh, bring this to a close. I, I think this is the last one in the series, isn't it? I live so week to week, I don't know. But I think this is the last one. And... Uh, Uh, I'll be talking about the Holy Spirit as kind of the spark of the the church and primarily as the unity of the church. Uh, So in about 20 minutes, I'm going to get on that message. I'm going to teach out of Ephesians 4 in about 20 minutes. But there's a few things I want to do to set it up. Uh, First thing I want to do is this. As some of you know, the last couple of years, I've become sort of enamored with, with heavy metal music, speed metal music in particular. Not that oh, 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 stuff, but the, the, the growly voice, but the beautiful stuff, the majestic stuff, the powerful stuff. I love it. I love it. Uh, and kind of a metal addict. So some of you probably think that, you know, I'm just like a, a one-string fiddle. That's all I listen to. I'm just a metal head. Uh, but the truth is, I'm rather refined in my musical taste, you see? <laughs> quite refined, very diverse. I've got a wide repertoire of music I listen to. Uh, I, I like my uh, the Stradivarius metal bands like Stradivarius and Avantasia and Nocturnal Rites, and I, I, I love that. But I also like some Tchaikovsky now and then, uh, some Sibelius, uh, Mozart, Beethoven, Mahler, uh, you know, Claude Debussy. I, 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 I love that stuff. Um, and... Um, so I thought, since we are refined here, are we not? We have refined taste in music. We should start with a little, uh, a little snippet of some classical music. Uh, this is a piece by a little snippet of Tchaikovsky, uh, Symphony Number no. Six in B Minor, Opus Seventy Four, entitled "Pathetique." Listen. Isn't that beautiful? It was beautiful. Um, No, I I, I don't know about you. The the music like that, it it just has a power. I mean, if if you put on headphones and turn it all the way up, when it hits that high part, it just gives you chills. It it sometimes brings tears to my eyes. That whole symphony is just a masterpiece. Um, Now, why is it beautiful? That's that, that question. What makes a symphony beautiful? And the most fundamental answer, I think, is this: that in a symphony, you've got a wide range, a wide diversity of instruments that are being played, and they're playing very different things. On the way after that crescendo, I don't know if you notice it, but there's so much going on there; uh, it, it's it's just incredible. It's very complex. There's this wide range of instruments, wide range of things being played, but they're all doing it in a way that complements one another. They're all doing it in, in harmony. Um, and 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 it's the unity amidst that wide diversity that makes it beautiful. If they were just playing one note, or if there's just one instrument playing one note, that would be a unity, but it wouldn't be beautiful. Uh, it's kind of boring if you do it too long. No, I've like a Buddhist monk or something. Namu yo ringo um, cho. It's just... That's not beautiful. Uh, but if you put like the with a da with a da with a da with a da da da, well, that's starting to be beautiful. <laughs> Maybe not. But you, you get, its the harmony, it's the, the togetherness of things—that um, makes it beautiful. And see, this, the, what makes that, the power of that is—I think when we hear something beautiful like that, or when we see beauty, when we see beautiful art, be, be, beautiful scenery, or whatever. Part of what makes that so powerful is that it taps into an intuition we have. Um, There's something that goes yes to that. It's like that's the way creation was supposed to be. We're seeing a snippet of a dream that God had for creation when we hear beauty and when we see beauty. um, It makes us long for it. That's why it seems to me there's always kind of a yearning in music. It's 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 like you remember a beautiful past. Uh, You long for it. And I think that intuition is absolutely true. Uh, God dreamed in the beginning of having a creation that would be something like an unending, magnificent, beautiful orchestral piece, a beautiful symphony. Uh, And this symphony would go on and on, and the, 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 the unity and diversity within this creation would all reflect in its own way the beauty of the God who is himself unity and diversity. He's the epitome of all beauty. He's he's the origin of all beauty. And he created this world as a way of expressing his beauty. It would mirror his beauty. Or the way the Bible puts it is, it all exists for the glory of God. It would put God on display. That's what creation is supposed to be. And every distinct thing would, in its own way, contribute to this magnificent orchestral piece. Every every rock, every blade of grass, uh, every bird... Not every insect, they came after the fall. Mosquitoes, forget it. But, but, but uh, you know, human beings, the angels, animals, it would all, we all play a role in this magnificent symphony, unity amidst diversity. Uh, in fact, it, science tells us that at its base, every distinct thing that exists is really a, a composition of vibrating energy units. Vibrating energy, that's what we are, that's what everything is. Matter is vibrating energy. Um, in fact, if, if we didn't have eyes and we had ears that were very much more finely tuned, we wouldn't see things exist. We would hear them exist. We would hear the sound of yellow. Yeah, that's what yellow sounds like, and that's what red sounds like, because they're, they're vibrating. So in a, in a very real sense, this, this, this cosmos is an orchestra. It's music. that's created there to manifest the beauty of the triune God. Now, because this cosmos that God created, this orchestral piece that God created, it includes the plan of having angels and humans, at least, entering into a love relationship with him. That's part of the music that's to be sung in this universe. But because it's a love relationship, it couldn't be forced. It couldn't be coerced. It had to be chosen. And that means that it's possible for angels and humans, at least, uh, to opt out of the program if you want, to quit the orchestra, to go solo on our own. And when someone decides to do their own thing and not go along with the orchestral piece, well, now you have discord. It might sound something like this. Mm. hallelujah. She gets an A for passion, all right? He came him the glory! She's going to be a lead singer in one of those death metal bands. <laughs> he gave him glory, 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 glory. He gave him glory. Uh, uh, oh, that's quite a loud angel there. Well, okay, so didn't quite blend, not quite harmonious kind of doing their own thing, uh, thought it was a solo, forgot about that. there's other people involved, but see, that's what happens when, when you do your own thing, there's, there's, it clashes, there's no harmony, and unfortunately, this is what has happened to our creation, we're, we're told that ages and ages ago, there's an angelic rebellion, and uh, they you were know, head headed up by one who can be called Lucifer, and then came to be called Satan, and uh, they decided to do their own thing, they decided to just go solo, and uh, quit the orchestra. Uh, and then they convinced human beings at some later time to join in their rebellious band. And uh, they told us that, why, why be a celloist in God's orchestra when you could break out there and do your own thing? Why all that work of having to harmonize with others when you could just do whatever you want? You don't have to worry about harmonizing with anybody. You just go solo. And so we joined their cacophony. And now we've turned this universe that was created to be... Um, just say a work, a masterpiece of God, displaying His beauty and the harmonious unity amidst diversity. We've turned it into a cacophony. Even nature has discorded it because of the corruption of the powers. Everything is screwed up. Thankfully, um, God did not give up on us. Did not give up on His masterpiece. God doesn't quit. He never quits. He's very patient, but he never quits. And so. After, after several centuries of laying kind of the groundwork, Jesus Christ comes into this world. And the Bible tells us that he came here to reharmonize the cosmos, if you will. He came here uh, to end all discord and to get this masterpiece back on track, to beautify uh, this cosmos by turning it again into something that glorifies God. And so uh, we, we find this theme in the New Testament that Jesus came to bring unity to the whole creation. Uh, here's what it says in Ephesians. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, no, there we go. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. And the purpose is this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity. Apparently right now there's disunity. Obviously there's disunity, there's disharmony. But Jesus comes to reconcile all that, to bring harmony once again. In Colossians 1, it tells us this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Apparently, all things aren't reconciled to God, they're in conflict with God. Because we've broken off and going our own way, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His shed blood uh, on, on the cross, the bloody shed on the cross. So on the cross, Jesus now brings peace to a conflicted world, discordant world, a cacophony world. He's now going to bring harmony. He's bringing peace. He's reconciling everything to God and everything to each other. He's creating, once again, a masterpiece, an orchestral masterpiece that reflects the beauty of God. And this gets applied to human beings in a particular way in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. passage I quote quite a bit. I love it. Where it says, He himself, referring to Jesus, he is our peace. He is our peace. Who has made of the two groups, here he's referring to Jews and Gentile, but Gentiles, but it applies to all distinct people groups. Has uh, made the two one. He's made us all one and has destroyed the barrier, praise God, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. What God's doing in creation, throughout all creation, he's doing in us. Uh, he, is, he, he comes to create one new humanity. Uh, to where there was discord, he comes to bring peace. He tears down every dividing wall. Praise God! Everything that could possibly separate us, uh, he puts to death the hostility between people groups, and it creates one new humanity. Uh, once again, to manifest the beauty of God's oneness and diversity, uh, so that now we're all singing the same tune. I want us to notice this. Uh, Paul says that he is our peace. He did this all in himself, and he is our peace. Jesus isn't just the bringer of peace. He is our peace. He's not the, just the bringer of harmony. He is our harmony. He doesn't just bring unity. He's our unifier. Right? And, and, and so insofar as we are going to live in harmony with one another, we'll do that insofar as, as we're singing this song. He, he doesn't just teach us how to play in a symphony. He's the symphony that we're to be playing, all right? And so it, we will have unity, we will have harmony, we will be, insofar as we're singing this song. But insofar as we go solo, we go rogue, we break from it, we do our own thing, well, there, there can't be unity there. Folks, you know, the, the, the various tribes and nations and tongues that populate the planet Earth um, It is when we start singing the same song that the the diversity will stop being a problem and start to be something beautiful, (laughs) Uh, putting on display the beauty of God himself. It's only when the tribes and nations uh, will will, only find that their diversity stops being a point of discord and starts to be an expression of God's beauty when we're singing the song of Jesus Christ. He is our harmony. He is our peace. Praise God. It's why... We are right now in a time in our nation of significant racial tension. And uh, we can debate, and we need to debate, and talk about plans and programs and policies that can help alleviate that. Uh, We can do do everything we can to alleviate that. But folks, as as people of God, we've got to know this, that ultimately harmony and peace, real genuine harmony and peace, is not going to come by some policy or some program or some politician, it's going to come when we start singing the song of Jesus Christ. Amen. He is our peace. He's our harmony. He's our unifier. It's all found in him. That doesn't mean we don't do other things, but the ultimate hope of the world is not found in a policy or program. It's found in Jesus Christ. So the best thing you can do to alleviate racial tension is to put on display the beauty of Jesus Christ and tell people about it. Show, Show the world what the beauty of his one new humanity looks like beautiful unity in diversity. Now, Jesus created this one new humanity 2,000 years ago. And it's real. But obviously, we don't see it on display. It's not fully manifested in this world. And that's because folks keep on living as though what he did was not true. And so we keep on empowering the deceiver. And see, here's where the church comes in. In a world that doesn't yet acknowledge the one new humanity, the church is to put it on display. In a world that is, is to a large degree a cacophony, we are to put on display the beauty of what it looks like when a people group follow the conductor and play the same masterpiece. Yeah. In a world where, where other folks are all going solo, we're to show the beauty of what it looks like when we're drawn together and we're playing in accord with one another. In a world where diversity is a problem, we're supposed to put on display the beauty of diversity as an expression of music, God's music, God's masterpiece. And that masterpiece is none other than, than Jesus Christ. Uh, and so th- this is why the unity of the church is so, so important. Can you see that now? It, it's, uh, it, Paul mentions it in, in all of his epistles, how important it is for the church to be united. That's why church splits are such a grievance. Uh, it, 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 it goes against the very foundation of what we are called to be. And so having said all of that, I'm ready to preach. Uh, <laughs> Let's get into Ephesians 4. This is one of the, one of the places where Paul uh, talks about unity. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you. He's, he's begging. He, okay, he, above all, he wants the church to stay united. I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And with all humility and gentleness, not just a little bit, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and there is one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Amen. All right, powerful passage here. I'm going to say four things about it. First thing is this: Paul says, uh, "Make sure I beg you to walk worthy of your calling." Now, this phrase "worthy of your calling" it does not mean to walk in a way where you show that you were worth the calling. Uh, You're not to be trying to show that you deserve this calling. None of us do. We got it by grace. All right? The word that Paul uses worthy here, it's, it's axios in Greek, and, and it literally means to align with something, to, to be consistent with something. And so Paul is simply saying, walk in a way that's consistent with your calling. Walk in a way that is in congruity with who you actually are. Your calling is to be a follower of Jesus and to love like Jesus, serve like Jesus, look like Jesus. And so, so be consistent with that. Be consistent with who you are in Christ. That's what it is to walk worthy of that. Walk in a way that reflects that. Second thing is this Uh, one of the main ways we do that, one of the main ways we walk consistent with our calling, is by manifesting the unity of the Spirit, by maintaining the unity of the Spirit. Now, I first want us to notice here that our job is to maintain the unity of the Spirit, it's not to try to create the unity of the Spirit. That, by the way, is why it's called the unity of the Spirit. Uh, It's not the unity of our great ideas or our plans or our programs or our our seminars. Um, We can't create this unity. In fact, in my experience, uh, when fallen human beings try to create unity, it is usually not very successful and it's never permanent. Uh, And the reason is because in a world where everyone is singing their own song, it's really hard to, to, to create a symphony out of that. In fact, it's impossible to create a symphony out of that. The most you can do... And this is what usually goes under the name of reconciliation and peace out there, is, is that uh, you learn to tolerate each other's singing. <laughs> and, 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 you, and you call that peace. But folks, that is not the peace of the, the, of, of the whole Holy Spirit. That's not the unity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, see, the job of the Holy Spirit, here's why it's, a, the, the, it's the unity of the Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit, as we've said several times in the series, is to take everything that Jesus has accomplished and now apply it to our lives. Remember, I said at the very beginning of this series that everything God does towards us is from the Father, through the Son, and, and is accomplished in the Holy Spirit. And then every movement we make towards God, it begins in the Holy Spirit, goes through the Son to the Father. And, um, and, and, and so the, the job of the Holy Spirit is to take everything Jesus accomplished and apply it to our lives. So Jesus created one new humanity on the cross. Now the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts to create a community of people who manifest that one new humanity. Uh, Jesus became our peace, our harmony on the cross. And so the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to create uh, a a community of people who who manifest that peace and manifest that harmony. Jesus became our symphony on the cross. And so the Holy Spirit's at work in our hearts to create a community of people who sing that song, who play in that orchestra, who are following that masterpiece. Everything Jesus accomplished, he works to manifest. Uh, On the cross, Jesus tore down all walls, all hostility, To make one new humanity. And so the the Spirit's at work to create a community of people for whom there are no walls, there are no divisions, there are no hierarchies, and and, uh, there's no hostility. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So it's the unity of the Spirit. So we can't create the unity because it's already created. That's what Jesus did, and that's what the Holy Spirit is applying. Our job is just to live consistent with that, right? To live consistent with that. Uh, And then Paul says, the third point is this, that we're to be... Uh, united in the bond of peace, maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. That bond there in, in Greek, it's sundemos. It, it, uh, it, it's anything that, that ties things together. So if you have a bunch of sticks and you put a rope around it, that, that's a sundemos. It's what holds you together. And we just saw that our peace is Jesus. He doesn't just bring peace; He is our peace. And so as we walk consistent with, with, with our calling, consistent with the Holy Spirit, well, then, of course, Jesus is our peace, because he already is. Uh, we just need to be consistent with that, and that's what it is to maintain that. Now, that doesn't mean that this is going to be easy. Uh, you know, Sometimes people get this idea of the Holy Spirit. He hangs out just where nice things are, and he doesn't get involved in conflict and whatever. But see, no, God's never like that. If the cross reveals anything, it reveals a God who likes to get involved in our mess. And sometimes church can be messy, Right? Uh, that doesn't mean that God's vacated the building. The Holy Spirit's at work in there, uh, in all of it. Uh, and so that's why Paul says that we need to pursue this, and it's going to require humility. It's going to require gentleness. It's going to require uh, patience. And he says it's going to require a long-suffering kind of love, long-suffering kind of love. <laughs> Sometimes church can be long on suffering. Uh, and... and, and We've got to be willing to do that. We've got to be willing to do that to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So this isn't just wave your magic wand, everything's okay. But that's nothing new, okay? That's not like a, just a problem with the modern church. You go back to the book of Acts. Uh, the First Christians were all Jewish, and then Gentiles started getting saved. So then the Jews had to wonder, like, what, what, what do we do about this? Uh, do they have to become, like, Jewish in culture? Do they have to be circumcised? Um, and, and so they debated that, and it was a hot debate. The, the early church was very divided over this. Some Jews saying, well, no, they have to become totally like us in their culture and eat kosher meat and all that kind of stuff. Others were saying, no, no, they, 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 they can keep their own culture. They just have to believe in Jesus. And so there's this big debate. And then we find in Acts 15, at the end of it, they, they, they work through it. And at the end of it, James summarizes kind of the whole thing when he says, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit that we just ask the Gentiles to, to honor these four things that are very offensive to us. Um, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit apparently was working in that conversation. Uh, and and uh, uh, the conversation was sometimes pretty hot, but the Holy Spirit is there. And so we just need to know that, that sometimes it's, it's going to require work and humility and patience and long-suffering. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's not in it. The Holy Spirit is in it. And we're working towards a bond of peace to manifest the peace that is Jesus Christ. Amen? And the final thing is this. Uh, unless you think I'm going to end early. God forbid, I would never. <laughs> this final point involves seven points. So, you know, don't worry. <laughs> Still plenty of room to go over time here, okay? I want us to notice all the ones in this passage. Ones. There's actually seven of them. And see, Paul is giving us these ones here because he's sharpening our vision. Uh, he's, he, 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 he wants our focus to be singular, And by having our focus singular, what I'm going to show here now is this. That, if we're consistent with that, if we walk consistent with that, if we hold fast to these things, it prevents us from getting involved in the kind of things that cause the conflict in the world. Okay, so first of all, there's one body. He says there's one body. Um, and that means, folks, then, that, that, that if you're a believer, you're part of the body, which means that you can't, you're not supposed to ever go alone. The New Testament has no conception of a single Christian who's not, not, not associated with community. We're meant for each other. We need one another. We belong together. Okay? That's what that one body thing is all about. We're, we're in this together. Our destinies are wrapped up with one another, okay? Um, one of the reasons why there's so much conflict in the world is because people don't belong to anything greater than themselves in that intensive a way. Uh, they act like their body is just the only body they're thinking about. In the world, folks don't acknowledge everything Jesus accomplished on the cross. They, they, they don't know that he created one new humanity and that they belong to it. They don't know that, that, that human beings, we, we need one another. We belong together. We're supposed to be working t- together on things. And so they just go solo. They do their own things, and that's what leads to all sorts of clashes. But we, as the people of God, are always to always remember that we are one body. We belong together. We're joined together. There's a bond of peace that unites us. And, and, and with that, we will maintain the unity of the Spirit to the degree that we walk consistent with that truth. It's all about getting our life to line up with what is true. And then Paul says there's one Spirit. One Spirit. Which means there's not two or three spirits pulling us in different directions. There's one Spirit who will always be leading us in the same direction if we're following Him. One of the reasons why there's so much conflict in the world is because people aren't listening to the one Spirit and they're not yielding to the one Spirit. For the most part, folks in the world, they operate out of their own spirit. What do I want? They do their own thing. And if I'm doing my thing, it's going to conflict with your thing, and and there you have conflict. But if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, we all have different roles, but they will be in harmony with one another, praise God. And they'll be playing this beautiful chorus. There'll be a beautiful unity that's manifested in the midst of diversity because there's only one Spirit, and we are to be the people who are surrendered to that one Spirit. Amen? And then Paul says... There's one hope. This is a big one. Uh, one hope. It doesn't say there's two hopes or three hopes or one big hope with a lot of little hopes. There's one hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. Our hope for our life, our hope for the world is to be found in Jesus Christ and in nothing else. One of the reasons why there's so much conflict in the world is because people have different hopes. Some are putting their hope on Donald Trump. Some are, some are putting their hope on Hillary Clinton. Some are putting their hope on Gary Anderson, the, the Libertarian Party. Some are putting their hope on the Green Party. Some are putting their hope on some other candidates. Some are putting their hope on moving to Denmark, you know? It's like, but see, look how much hostility that, that this has created. God bless all those folks. Uh, but it, it's created such a hostility. Why? Because people, they, their hope is in one thing, and your is in a different thing, and only one can win, so there's a clash. And you can multiply that same kind of thing a million fold. Some have their hope in America, but that clashes with the hope that's in the in Russians, and that cuts with the hope in Syria, or in, in Bangladesh, or wherever. And so hopes are different, and then they clash. We are to have one hope, and it unites us. And then one hope is the same one who is our peace. It is Jesus Christ. Put all your eggs in that basket, all right? Vote for Jesus. I don't care what you—you you can have your opinions about all of that stuff, competing hopes. You can have your opinions. Fine. Just don't put any hope in it. It's all hopeless. And I shouldn't need to prove it to you this, this election cycle. It's hopeless. <laughs> There's no hope there. Don't pin your hope on, on, on Jesus Christ. And that, that's what unites us. If we walk consistent with that, we maintain the unity of, 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 of the, the Spirit and the bond of peace when our hope is all focused on Jesus Christ. And then, Paul says, we have one Lord. Only one Lord. A Lord is anyone who's got authority over you. Certainly anyone who defines you. Uh, and we are only to have one Lord. One who defines us. One who's over us. Now, of course, legally, we've got... A lot of people over us. Your boss has a th- legal authority over you, and you're, 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 the president has authority over us, and the Congress, and the Senate, and, and police, and things like that. So yeah, there's, there's those authorities, and we're supposed to submit to them insofar as it's possible. Um, but we submit, get this, we submit not because they've got authority over us. They think they have authority over us, but they don't have authority over us. We submit because the one who does have authority over us tells us to submit. So we submit for Christ's sake. Yes, and See, that's why if, if the legal authorities ever tell us to do something that's contrary to our allegiance to Christ, we have to politely say, "Kiss off, because we've got to follow Jesus." <laughs> and, and if you want to put me in prison, put me in prison. But He's our one authority, all right? Uh, the reason why there's so much conflict in the world is because people have different authorities, different lords, different kings, different CEOs, different, different commanders-in-chief, my commander-in-chief has a beef with your commander-in-chief, so my commander-in-chief tells me to kill you, and your commander-in-chief tells you to kill me, even though we don't have a beef with each other, we don't even know each other, but that's what our authority says, and bam! And that's the way the world's been spinning for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Why stop now? But uh, that's not that way in the body of Christ. Or sometimes people put their trust in different authorities. If I have my trust in Fox News to give an accurate report, and you have your trust in MSNBC News, well, then I'm going to be thinking you're an idiot, and you're going to be thinking I'm a jerk. You see? And so the, the different authorities in people's lives, the things that they trust, that leads to all this conflict. But we folks, we have one Lord, one who defines us, one who's our Lord God, one who's our master, one who's transformed us. He's the conductor. We follow him. He's the symphony we're playing. He's the harmony that we have. He's our peace. He's our everything. We have one Lord. Then Paul says, number five, we have one faith. Biblically, faith is whatever, it's about placing your trust in another and pledging to be trustworthy towards another. That's the biblical concept of faith. And we are to have one that we uh, pledge to, and that's Jesus Christ. We pledge our ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ, and we're unified in that. Um, that's, that's what unites us. That's, that's an uncommon thing in this world, and it unites us. Now, the reason why there's so much conflict in the world is because people pledge their ultimate allegiance to a lot of different things. One pledges it to this country, another one pledges it to that country, one pledges it to this flag, another to that flag. You pledge allegiance to this cause, another one pledges it to that cause. And inevitably, there's conflict. Uh, our ultimate allegiance is to be to Jesus Christ. We pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. He has our all, right? Our, our whole heart. It's not a part thing, not a 90% thing. It's everything. We put it all in him. And then, folks, we're to have one baptism. Um, hey, look, people understand baptism differently, but the, the core concept is this, that, that you, you're, 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 baptism is to your relationship with Christ, what your wedding is to your marriage. Uh, it, it's simply the, the ceremony where you now join the body of Christ. You, you become part of the bride of Christ. You're now betrothed to the heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. So when Paul says one baptism, he's simply saying, uh, you, you, you didn't have two weddings. You had one wedding. You've got one spouse. You have one spouse. And uh, You know, when you get married, if you haven't, don't know this yet, here's going to be a valuable lesson. When you get married to somebody, you get your eyes off of everybody else. Amen? Yeah, It's like, nope. And you don't set your affection on anyone else. Your your, your devotion is singular. That's what it means to be married. So also, our devotion to Jesus is to be singular. Our heart is wholly invested in Him and and, in singing the, the song that He is and living out the peace and the harmony that he is. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's always to be the the, the priority there. And so we don't let our affections get on the things that most people have their affections on. You know, the chasing after the stuff of the world, getting the most toys before you die, playing that game, climbing the ladder, getting as rich as you can, getting as much comfort as you can, getting your way, getting famous, whatever people chase after, that's not to mean anything to us. Because our heart is set on our heavenly spouse. That's why Paul says, set your eyes on things above, not on things below. Things below, these, these transitory things, these temporary things, you know, you have them one minute, you lose them the next minute, causes people all sorts of anxiety because they're trying to grab onto it and they're fearing that people are going to try to steal it and someone's going to scratch my nice car and, and all those worries and all those concerns and all that conflict. And see, folks, it's because people, their heart is set on different things. We are to have our hearts set on one and that His name is Jesus Christ. And this stuff can come and go. Yes, and that marriage that marriage lasts forever, right? It goes on and on, forever and ever, and so seeing that eternal glory that awaits us, this, the trinkets of this world just don't have that much pull. So we don't need to fight for it. We don't need to get angry about it. We don't want to kill for it. No, it is what it is. Folks, we're just getting warmed up, right? This is, this is like a gestation period. We're not really even born yet. Reality is going to start on that other side. And so we, we, we go through this life with, our, with open palms because our affection is set on Jesus Christ. And we'll maintain the unity of the Spirit when we are singular in our focus like that, singular in our affection. We've got one baptism, one spouse. And finally, folks, we've got one God who is Father over all. And he's through all and in all. This is huge. i got three minutes. Huh. Oh, yeah. um, okay. In some ways, this is foundational to everything else. Because, see, when if you have this singular focus and singular passion, then it's going to set you fundamentally at odds with the world. Uh, there, there's going to be opposition here. Um, Jesus told us it was going to be difficult. And in, in many contexts in church history, to become a Christian means you, you, you get persecuted and sometimes martyred. This is why Paul, I think, ends with this. Because, see, if you believe that God is over all and in all and working through all, well, you've got a big God. And it means you don't sweat stuff. Uh, whatever happens, whatever happens, however bad it may be, and it can be very, very bad in this cacophony war zone world that we live in, but whatever happens, you know that God is above it. All right, God, God's bigger than that. Whatever problem you brought to church this morning, whatever else you just want to say about that, I'll tell you this God is bigger than that problem. Way bigger, all right? And that should give you a sense of peace. He's bigger than the problem. It can seem catastrophic if you're staring at the problem like this, you know, like, all I see is the problem. Well, zoom out a little bit and know that God's bigger than that, all right? Put it in some perspective. In fact, compared to God, every problem is infinitely small because God's infinitely large, if you will. He's above all. He's above all of it. He's bigger than all of it. Not only is he above it, but he's in it. He's in it. However nasty, gross, painful, disgusting, sinful, terrible it might be, God's in it. If the cross teaches us anything, it's that God is not afraid of getting his hands dirty. He dives into hell, right? That's what he does. That's what reveals his love. So however mucky it is, even if you brought it on yourself, God is in it. And the reason he's in it is because he wants to bring good out of it. In all things, he's working together for the better, for those who love the Lord, are called according to his purposes. Yes. And he's a genius at doing it. Amen? He's a genius. He finds a way to turn it to your advantage, to the kingdom advantage, to his advantage. He finds a way to, to make it part of the beautiful symphony that he's playing in Jesus Christ. And so, folks, we can have this assurance. We can let go of stuff. If your God is smaller than that, and for most people, their God is smaller than that, whatever else they may... Th- Theoretically believe they live as though God was smaller than that, because that means you're on your own. You know, if you're going to have your best life, well, you got to get it. You got to strive. You got to connive. You got to manipulate. You got to fight. It's all up to you. And then when bad things happen, it's catastrophic. You know, this is the one shot you got, and now it's done. Folks, that's not to be our our attitude. Our our, our mindset is easy come, easy go. Uh, And, and, um, and we, we just trust. We have this trust. It can give us a peace that passes all understanding. And that's what gives us a fearlessness, even a reckless fearlessness, to really have a singular focus that's fundamentally different from the ways of this world. We maintain the unity of the Spirit when we really have, when we really are part of one body, are surrendered to one Spirit, when we really have just one hope, and we have one Lord who, who's over us, and one faith and one faith and one baptism, and one God who is over all and in all and through all. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I, I, I'll just end with this. I want to leave you with this question, and I encourage you to meditate on this. Um, and, and as you do so, ask the Spirit to, to help you to be real with yourself. Are you singularly focused? Okay. And, and just go through that list. Is it true that you really do have your hope in this one thing? One way to kind of find out is to ask the question, what do you stress out about? Because all other hopes, all other faiths, all of them cause stress because they're all associated with things that are in conflict. It's part of the cacophony world. We want to be part of the symphony world that's created in Jesus Christ, right? We want to be singing that one song, and that means our eyes are on one conductor, and we're starting to that one spirit, part of that one body. Uh, and so ask yourself the question. And I, this is a good spiritual discipline to do regularly. Are you singularly focused? James says, purity of heart is to will one thing. Let this be your one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified, the creator of the one new humanity. The symphony that we sing. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? Uh, We will have folks up here who are part of our prayer team. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, I encourage you to come forward and uh, pray with these folks, whether it's about this issue or some other issue, it doesn't matter. Uh, And if you're here this morning and you're not surrendered to Christ, you're not a follower of his, but you're interested in it or you're feeling a pull in that direction, I encourage you to come up here like Scott told about earlier and to talk to these folks and they'd love to introduce you to Jesus and get you started on that walk. Fathers, we leave this place. I pray, Lord, that we do it with a singular focus. Spirit, will you just be reminding us about the need to live consistent with our call and to have a singular focus on you. To put hope in nothing else, faith in nothing else to have you as our one Lord, our one definer, our one master, our one conductor, in Jesus' name and all God's orchestra said. Amen, Amen. God bless you guys, go and spread peace.